Um, okay, well, good morning. Um, I'm going to be talking to us today about um, Advent and about our theme for Advent this year, which is a new king. And um, the theme for today really is a king without power. And I'm going to start by reading a passage from 1 Samuel, which might not be the first place that we'd want to go, but I'm going to read that to you anyway. And it's 1 Samuel chapter 8 from verse 1 to verse 21. And it says, When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as judges for Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah, and they served at Beersheba. But his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. So all the leaders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah, and they said to him, You are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king, as they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly, and let them know what the king who will reign over them will do. Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, this is what the king who will reign over you will do. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses, and they will run in front of his chariots. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and others to plough his ground and reap his harvest, and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and take the best, oh sorry, and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants. Your men servants and maidservants and the best of your cattle and donkeys he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks, and you yourselves will become his slaves. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen, and the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we shall be like all the other nations, with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all that the people had said, he repeated it before the Lord. And the Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. So that's quite an interesting story, isn't it? About the first time that the Jewish people and the Israelites were given a king. And if we just go to the next slide, thank you. So when we think of a king, we think of riches and royalty and armies and and all these wonderful things that a king will will give you. Um, And the Israelites wanted a king because they wanted a leader. They wanted somebody that was going to lead them. They felt very unsafe. They felt that what they'd had up until that point hadn't given them what they needed. They weren't able to trust the judges that they'd had and the people that 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 had helped them in so many ways and led them in so many ways. And they thought, I know, the way to fix this is to be like everybody else. The way to fix this is to have a king. And there was a real sense of disillusionment and instability. They thought, actually, that's what we need. And they got a king, and without going through all the history of what happened after that, we know that some kings were all right, some kings were less all right, but fundamentally, all the kings were human. And all the kings did things right and also did a lot of things wrong. And they suffered, just like the prophecy here says, they suffered for the decisions those kings made over time. 
If you fast forward to Matthew, they've got a king in Matthew, it's King Herod, and, and he's almost like a puppet king that's there during the, the political situation at that time. And he's ruling Judea and he's ru- ruling the surrounding areas. And he wasn't that great either. And if you do a bit of research and you look in the history books at what sort of king King Herod was, he was not the best of kings. Um, we often talk about Henry VIII having a lot of wives. He also had a lot of wives. King Herod had a lot of wives. He um, had a lot of children. Um, he had a lot of grandchildren. And, um, and if you read what it says about King Herod, this particular King Herod, he was quite mentally unstable, particularly towards the end of his life. And it turns out that he murdered his wife. He murdered her sons. He murdered her brother. He murdered her grandfather. He murdered her mother. And um, so he didn't, he didn't have a great time, um, to be fair. Um, and he had a wife called Doris, which I think is really fascinating. I don't know. I find that really funny. I don't know why I find that funny, but I do. So he had a wife called Doris, which is great. So, um, but this king at this time did a lot of wrong things. And we know in the, story, in the Christmas story itself about how he wanted to murder all the, the, the boys that were born because he was quite mentally unstable and he would often give quite crazy um, commands to people to do things for him. But actually, what the Jews at that time wanted and the Israelites wanted was a new king. They wanted a leader who was going to rescue them from the, the situation that they were in and the climate, the political climate that they were in. So when in doubt, look for a leader. So I don't know about you, but I've been on quite a few leadership courses in my time. Give the next slide, please. Thanks, Mark. Um, and there are lots of different types of leaders out there. And there'll be people looking at those slides thinking, oh, no, I've been on courses where I've been told that I'm a this sort of a leader or that sort of a leader. I've been quite on a few leadership. I've been on quite a few leadership courses. Sometimes the best thing is the lunch, in my opinion, my experience. <laughs> but, um, it's true. Um, but uh, but actually, there are lots of type leadership styles out there, and there's a lot of money to be made in being a good leader. There's a lot of money to be made in actually telling people what sort of leader they are. And you could, they're very expensive these courses to go on. They're not cheap. And I tell you what, you come away with a pack that tells you that you're a particular type of leader and that your leadership style is brilliant for you because you can make a difference to everyone that you work with. And you, you leave really excited. And then you go to work the next day and then you realise that actually it's a little bit more complicated than that because there are people all around you and some of them will respond and some of them don't. Um, and it can be really interesting. And there are lots of books and theories. And I tell you what, if, if you could write the perfect way to be the best leader, you would be a millionaire because that's what people in business and in the world are crying out for. I read a book once that said that a leader sets the weather for an organisation. And I think that's really true. If you think about it in, work, in your work life where you've, or in your life generally, people that have led you, they have a real impact on how you feel and how you behave and, and, and what you do. And I think that's quite true as well, that actually leadership is really important and getting it right is really important. And we've heard this morning about how when we're in positions of power, we're leaders and actually how we lead is really key and how we lead is really, really important. So when the Israelites at this time were looking for a leader, they were looking for somebody that was going to tick all their boxes, that was going to lead them and save them from the world that they were in and the situation that they were in, that's going to set them free and make them happy again. And were the Jews wrong to ask for a leader? I don't think they were. I think they were looking for something. They wanted somebody that was going to make things better for them because they felt unsafe. They were paying too much tax. They felt that they had... Um, laws that they didn't agree with. They perhaps weren't happy with the political climate at that time. Not too different to now, I think, perhaps. What do you think? Um, next slide, please, Mark. Thank you. So today's no different, really, is it? And we're at this time next week, is that right? Is the election this Thursday? It is, isn't it? This time next week, we as a country could have a new leader. Um, and it could be one of those three people. I don't know how that makes you feel. If it fills you with happiness or it fills you with dread. But we're currently hearing leaders talk about 
what's going to happen in our political climate over the next few weeks. And each of them is telling you that they're going to change the world. And actually, they're going to make sure that you have more money in your pocket and a better NHS and a better education system. And they're promising us lots and lots of things. Um, they're going to make our country everything that, that it should be. And we know that actually, for that to happen, there will be, there'll be a cost and there'll be a demand. And in many ways, that's no different to the Jews back in 1 Samuel. And they wanted a king. And they were told, well, actually, you'll get a king, but you'll also have to think about how much you pay and think about what you do and think about your work life. Um, that's not that different, is it, really? We're kind of almost thinking, well, yeah, we know we have to compromise. And what are those compromises going to be? So we're no different, really. We're thinking about a leader for ourselves. And actually, there's so much instability in our country at the moment and around the world at the moment that it's, it's worth thinking about. So I suppose, really, the introduction to my talk today, really, is actually, well, what sort of leader do we want? Because these, these guys are all flawed, aren't they? None of them is perfect. And we know that. And even when we go and put our cross in a box on Thursday, we know that we're voting for somebody that's not perfect. And we know that we're voting for a leader who will do lots of things that we want, but perhaps not everything that we want on how we want it. And we know that's true. So actually... If that's the case, then what, what, what is a real leader? And, and actually, what does that mean? And I suppose that's, what, that's where Jesus comes into it, really. Because Jesus was the perfect leader, really. And he is the perfect leader. And if we just go to the next slide, thanks, Mark. That's what this Advent series is all about. And actually today, a new king. A new king who was going to turn everything upside down. That's what the Jews really wanted. And actually, that's what we now have. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. Because... The Jews are waiting for a king, they're waiting for a leader, and a baby is born. No castle, no treasure, no army, no power, none of the things that were listed way back in 1 Samuel. And this is the baby that appears. And it probably passed them by, in fact it did pass them by. And I, and I, I suppose if we were living at that time, probably would have passed us by as well. This baby is born in a stable. Would we have noticed? Might have done, might not have done. And actually this king is born who hasn't got any of the status that goes with the kings that were around at that time or even the kings that are around today and when I was when we were thinking about this theme of advent about no castle no treasure Jane made a point and she I don't think she's here this morning but she said but the children are going to want to know what the king can actually do because we were saying a king with no power a king with no castle a king with no treasure isn't that great this great king and she said but actually no it's not we want a king that does have power we do want someone that's going to lead us we do want someone that's going to change the world we do want someone that's going to make the world a better place and I suppose that is the beauty of our king our king Jesus that actually he does that he does change the world and, and actually, what we're going to be looking at today are three ways that Jesus had power, even as a baby. So, the first way. Next slide, please. Thank you. If it works. No? Oh, there we go. Ah, oh, just take a moment. Aren't they sweet? No. Um, so, Jesus came to earth as a baby. Um, and when I put into Google Images pictures of babies, this is what came up. And I had to take a moment and go, oh, aren't they cute? And there's a reason why I've put that up, really, because I think babies have a lot of power. I think we often don't give enough credit to how much power that a baby has. Um, straight away, you look at that picture, and every, nearly all of us in the room will have gone, oh, and that's the power of a baby. If there's a baby in a room, what do we all do? We all go, oh, there's a baby in the room. Let's go and talk to the baby. Let's go and hold the baby. Let's go and see if the baby's all right. Um, and actually... In reality, birth isn't like that. I've got to tell you, I've had two children, and, and babies are not always cute. Children are not always cute. My children are not always cute. You might think they are. I don't think they are. 
You might not think they are, I don't know. Um, but, but, but actually, babies still have that power to make you want to love them, want to care for them, want to look after them. There's a vulnerability and also an incredible ability to make you want to love them. And I think that's quite powerful. Um, I know that for a fact in my family, for example, if I go and see my parents, if I'm there, it's great, but they don't really want to see me. Sorry to all the grandparents in the room. They really want to see the grandchildren. They really want to see my children. And I've accepted that now. That's okay. I'm over it, um, honestly. It's not bothering me at all. That this is just the children they want to see. But it's true because they love seeing the grandchildren. They love spending time with babies because babies are so lovely and children are so lovely. Um, I sometimes think at work, sometimes I have to do meetings with children who have been very naughty and they've been excluded for something. When they come back in, you meet with the parents and you have a whole discussion about why they did what they did. If the parents being a them, there's, there's no hope because I'm just like, oh, there's a baby in the room and then I can't be serious and strict. It's, it's a problem. So if ever that happens, bring a child with you and it will make the meeting go so much better. <laughs> because babies just can't help themselves. They just evoke that response. And I suppose for me, when I was thinking about this, it really made me think, actually, that's the power of Jesus, actually. That's the power of the upside-down kingdom of Jesus. Because um, when you met Jesus, or when, if you take a moment now and just think about when, you, when Jesus became a part of your life, at that point, you had that emotional response, that almost that <gasps> wow moment that you have when you see a baby. That moment of actually, I will do anything. I will do whatever it takes. This has changed my life. And it's changed my life in a really dramatic way. And you can't explain it. It's a, except like with a baby, you can't explain that feeling of, oh, there's a baby. And that's quite similar, isn't it? There's that feeling that you can't explain. Actually, I'm willing to do anything for this God that I serve. I'm willing to make choices that other people will think really strange because I serve this God and because this, this king is really important or this leader is really important in my life. And you make those changes, even though they're completely irrational. And even though other people will look at you and say... But that's not a normal thing to do at this point. And you might sit there thinking, well, I don't know that I have made those changes. I don't know if I have done those things in my life. The fact that you're here this morning is an example of that. Sunday mornings, we could be in so many places right now, and yet we choose to come to church on a Sunday morning. Just that simple choice. Now, you might think, well, that's just normal for me. It's not normal for so many people right now. If you went to Cribs Causeway right now, it would be rammed with people who've not made the choice that we've made this morning to be here. And that's because... Why? It's because of that deep-rooted, almost, you can't explain, feeling of actually, I want to worship this king. I want this king, this leader, to be part of my life. And it's something that you can't explain. And almost, that's what Follow the Star is about. We want everyone that comes to Follow the Star to have that moment of actually, this is a king that I want to serve. This is a leader that I want to follow. And actually, that's what this is about. If you think about, if you look in Matthew chapter 4, no. That's right, isn't it? Yeah, Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 to 22. It says this, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. And they were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left their boat and the father and followed him. So following Jesus means that sometimes we make choices that people might think are strange. These people left their livelihood, they left their family to follow Jesus. And we do that because we just love him, and because it's like that moment of, oh, there's a baby in the room. And actually, it's, the, it's just a wanting to do 
something different, wanting to do something that's, that doesn't make sense. And that is the amazing power of our leader, our leader Jesus. The fact that he doesn't need to have an army with contracts and pay packets and pensions. He doesn't need to, ha- to force people to want to work for him. He doesn't need to say, I'm, if you work for me, I will do this for you and I will do that for you. Because that's not why we're here, is it? We're here because we want to be here. And that's the amazing thing about our leader. So actually, does baby Jesus have power? Yes, he can us well he, we doesn't, he doesn't make us we want to do what he wants us to do and you can't even it's, it's beyond explanation really so a king with no power I think not I think a king with great power for people who want to serve him and actually that's that's the beauty of the first type of kingship or leadership that we have right moving on to the next one so in a moment so can you go just to there's the next slide please Mark thank you so in a moment you're going to watch a film clip And in this film clip, this is two minutes long, and in this film clip, um, some children were asked, what's the difference between you? What's the difference between you? And it's two and a half minutes long. It's taken from CBeebies, so you may have seen it before, or you may not. Um, And I just think it's really powerful. So just just watch it. What makes you two different from each other? advert for CBB, it's nice. Um, okay, so the reason I played that really, oh, it's on again. Ooh. We don't want to see it again. Thank you. Much as it's lovely and they're very cute. Um, so I think the reason I played that really is because I don't know what went through your mind when you first started to watch it. And I, when I first watched it, I was really challenged by it because we saw things very differently to how children see things. And it's fascinating. And children from a very early age don't see difference the way that we do. They don't see prejudice like we do. And they see the world in a completely different way. I see it so much, even with older children at school, even though they do see differences much more at secondary school, but they they don't see the world in the same way that we do. They look behind skin colour. They look behind 
disability and they're just much more welcoming of each other and at primary school even more so and it's just I find that just really challenging because it just makes me think actually how do I see the world and how welcoming am I to people around me in terms of the Christmas story and in terms of um, Jesus as being our different type of king I think the Christmas story is a real example of a leveling story where you've got shepherds and you've got wise men who who both are going the wrong or who both need direction and help and actually we might go oh yeah shepherds and wise men but at that time shepherds probably were illiterate they didn't really you know they spent all time probably quite smelly we, we, and we talk about that very every year at Christmas but they really were away in the fields for many months of the year not having any contact with people around them not the sort of people that you'd want um, if they arrived at the door today, you probably want them to have a bath before they sat down next to you in church, for example. But, but they were people that were very important in that society because they looked after the sheep, but they were kept far away from everybody else. Equally, you've got wise men who, the, who would be the opposite in terms of status and in terms of what they would be able to experience, in terms of what they would expect if they came into church. And I suppose the Christmas story is all about levelling that, isn't it? It's about saying, well, actually, they're all the same. And they all came to see baby Jesus and they all worshipped in exactly the same way. And I suppose that is the second thing that I just want to think about, really, in terms of our new king and his upside-down kingdom. So not only is he a great leader that makes us want to worship him, he's also a leader that doesn't see difference, because children don't see difference. Baby Jesus wouldn't have seen the difference between them. And actually, he welcomes everybody, regardless of their background, regardless of your pay packet, regardless of your family situation, regardless of anything about you, really. He welcomes you as you are. And that's the important thing. He welcomes you as you are. And you've only got to look in the New Testament at when Jesus was on earth and, and how many times he welcomed people as they were. You look at the story of Zacchaeus and you think, actually, he was, he was just told to come down from the tree. And he, at, in that time, the tax collectors would have been the lowest of the low and the people that nobody liked. I suppose the question to us today is, who are the tax collectors today? Who are the people that wouldn't be welcome in the same way that perhaps everybody sitting in this room is welcome. The woman caught in the act of adultery, you know, and then Jesus, as we, we all know, says, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. But the question would be, who would, be, who would that person be today? If they walked into church today and sat down, who is, what sort of people would evoke that sort of response from us today? And what would we do about it? And would, what, would, would we welcome them in the way that Jesus did? But that's the beauty of our upside-down king, that actually he welcomes everybody and he welcomes them equally and that's the sign of a, an amazing leader somebody that says actually do you know what I welcome you in to my team because you want to be here and I want to help you and that's that's the second type of leader right moving on to the third one then so the third one if we just that's it yeah thank you is um an interesting one so in a moment I'm going to show you some pictures um and they're three we'll do them one at a time mark if that's all right because they're quite amusing and these are pictures oh no 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 oh, hang on um, yeah, just that's put, oh no, oh, too late. Okay, there you go, too late. Never mind. So this is the first picture. This is a picture of this. I took these off the internet, and um, and you see these sometimes every now and again. It's what happens if if you've got children, your house goes quiet. We've all been there. We had a barbecue once, and um, and this is a true story. And we had lots of children in our house, and we were in the garden, and we suddenly looked round and realised there were no children in the garden. It's a bit of a there's about ten children in our house, but a few families around. And Dush went upstairs to the bedroom, and he went to the bathroom. And he thought, "What's that sound?" And the taps were running in the bathroom. The shower was running. It was chaos. And then he went into our bedroom. They were all hiding under the duvet because they knew what they'd done was naughty, and there was, it was it was hilarious. Nothing compared to this, though. So this little boy has obviously decided he's found the felt pens. Um, 
I don't know at which point you decided to go to the toilet. That's what I find interesting about that. But anyway, that's just me. Anyway, there's another one. Next one. Thanks, Mark. Um, I know. It's not good, is it? Oh, yeah, white paint. I know, bless her. I think she's had a lot of fun, though. Can you imagine doing that? Part of me thinks that would be quite good fun in a weird sort of way. And we've got one more. So those of you that can't see the picture clearly, that is pseudocreme. I know, yes. So that is not coming off that telly very easily, is it? I know. Pseudocreme. If you don't know what pseudocreme is, come and talk to me later or talk to any, any parent in this room and they will tell you what pseudocreme is. It's amazing cream for everything apart from tellies. Oh, and there's one more. There we go. And the last one is, that was a banana. <laughs> I know, you wouldn't believe it, would you? That's a banana. But um, she had a lot of fun. And I remember giving Joel a banana for the first time when he was six months old, and it was very similar. And what I learned that day is banana is a bit like avocado. It doesn't wash out. I didn't know that. But I learned that that day. There you go. So if you didn't know that, you've learned that today. Okay. So this brings me on to the last one, really, which is that babies aren't afraid of mess. Babies are very comfortable with mess. Um, if you've had a child or if you've been around children, they love mess. They don't care about mess. Last Sunday was a really good example of that with the, leg with the bricks. And I thought it was really interesting because the box was full of bricks. And what children do when there's a box full of stuff is they empty out. They always, if you give them a box of Lego, they will always empty out the Lego, won't they? Just chuck it all on the floor and, they, and then they see what they've got and then they build something. And last Sunday, with the water and everything else, if you were here last Sunday, they were building a tower out of bricks. And we hadn't really thought that through very well in terms of the, the box of bricks had been outside, I think. Is that right? And it was full of rainwater and bricks. But, of course, the children, the first thing they did was they tipped the box out just here, and there was water everywhere. But they just carried on building the bricks. They didn't mind that the whole carpet was soaking up water like a sponge. But actually, children aren't afraid of mess. They love a bit of mess. They don't care that the world is messy. They don't care about mess. That little girl there is loving that banana. She is not bothered about how she looks. She's not bothered that it's a mess. And I think we, we very much live in a world now where we don't talk about mess, do we? We put pictures on Facebook of how lovely our house is and how... And we only put the pictures on when our house is tidy. Um, I've got a friend that doesn't do that. She puts pictures on of, of everything. And I always like looking behind the picture and you can always see the mess behind the picture. And it's, it, that cheers me up because then it reminds me more of my house. And Christmas can be very messy as well, kind of with presents and toys and stuff everywhere and trying to hide things from the children beforehand. But when you talk to somebody, very often they'll say, oh, I'm fine. How are you today? I'm fine. I'm okay. And that's what we do, isn't it? Our response generally is, I'm fine. I'm all right. But in reality, and I'm going to say this, and you might disagree with me, every single one of us in this room has got some mess, haven't we? Every single one of us. And if you haven't, I don't believe you. I'm sorry. I, I think we all have some mess going on. There's a, um, I don't know if you used to watch Friends years ago. I used to. Um, and there's an episode in Friends where Monica... Um, who's Miss, Little Miss Perfect in Friends. If you've never seen Friends, she's Little Miss Perfect. There's an episode where they, they discover a door in their house to a room they've never been in. And basically, what Monica has been doing is hiding all her mess in this room for all of her life. And then they open it, and then it all comes out, and she has to accept the fact that there is mess in her life as well as everybody else's. So you might say, actually, no, I'm fine. But we'll all have that room. We'll all have that space in our life where, actually, it's a bit messy, and we might not want everyone to know about how we're really feeling. And that could be physical mess. It could be mess, mess in our minds, mental health. Mental health is a huge thing at the moment, isn't it? In, in education, for example, we talk about it so much. But it's, it's a big thing that affects us in so many different ways. But actually, Jesus stepped into the mess. He didn't care about mess. And if you look at his life story, um, when he was here on earth, he was happy to go into mess. He was happy to get involved and, and just deal with the mess. And he didn't mind that it was messy. He didn't say, go away and tidy yourself up 
and come back to me, and then we'll have a proper, con a formal conversation about it. He was there in the mess, and I, I'm, I'm running out of time, otherwise I would read it. There's a passage where he goes to a man who had lots of demons, and actually, he, he, he looks after him. And if you read the passage, it says that this, this guy was walking around naked for a very long time. How many people were walking past him because they didn't want to deal with that mess? And actually, he said, it's all right, you know. I'll look after you, and he sorted him out. When he washed the disciples' feet, again, we have this beautiful image of our, in our mind of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. But that was really messy, because, I mean, I don't know if you've been to countries where it is really dirty, when it's dusty tracks. I've been, on, I've been to India, where it's very dirty, and cows wander the streets. I'll tell you what, if you're in sandals, your feet are very dirty, and it isn't just dust on your feet. It's, it's a lot of other things on your feet, and it is really disgusting. That's why often you leave your shoes at the door, and you walk around barefoot, because your feet are so dirty and grubby from what you've done. And Jesus went down and he washed their feet. He wasn't afraid of that mess. He wasn't afraid to say, actually, do you know what? I don't mind that it's messy. And I'm going to wash your feet anyway. And I suppose that's the third thing about this upside-down kingdom, that actually, in the Christmas story, there's a messy stable. It's just mess. It's just mess, isn't it? And we have these beautiful Christmas card pictures of how beautiful it is, but it's not. You've only got to go to a farm. You've only got to go anywhere and realise that in reality... It wasn't as beautiful as this, with a beautiful star just shining above. It was much, much messier. Well, next week at Follow the Star, the donkey's here. Even the donkey that we get is quite clean compared to what it was really like. It was really, really messy and really grubby. And in this upside-down kingdom, this leader has got lots of power, and his power comes from saying, actually, I accept you in your mess. I accept you for who you are in your mess, and I will help you tidy that mess up. So this amazing leader then, he says, I, he says come as you are. Don't, don't come and pretend. Come and be yourself. Don't come and say, actually, I'm all right. Be yourself. And I think that's the amazing thing about prayer. When we pray, we don't have to pretend. And sometimes in church, you think that you do. You think there are certain ways that you have to pray. Some of my best prayers are the prayers that I pray when I'm really angry. Really angry with God, actually. Because something's not gone the way I want it to. And sometimes those are the best prayers that you can pray. Because actually, that's my mess. And actually, God is light, and light shines everywhere, even in my darkness, even in my moments where I don't feel great. His light is still there, and he still loves me regardless. So, to finish then, the last slide then, please. Thank you, Mark. So there are three things that this amazing new king will do. Okay, This king, who is going to be the king that we want, this king with power, he'll change your heart. So this king, the best thing about our leader is that he will change your heart. He will make you want to worship him without thinking about rules and structure. Actually, you'll just want to be, be his servant. You'll want to do what he says. Secondly, he will love you without any prejudice. He doesn't look at your pay packet. He doesn't look at your backstory, your history. He doesn't look at all those things that you perhaps think, oh, I'm not as good as the next person, or I'm better than the next person. He will just level that, and he will love you without prejudice. And finally, he will help you in your mess. And actually, it doesn't matter how messy you are, he will help you. And we've all got mess.